from the podcast daily. That is Bill Landis, Jeremy Birmingham. I'm Austin Ward, and I think we're all super rich now, right? Didn't make any mistakes all year. Let's look back. I did not invest wisely. Let's think back to we thought we were going to make rules, right? We didn't do that. Yeah, this guy wanted to like invent currency and then and we have like, people try. Imagine it. how much better this would be had we done <laughs> it. Would let's think back to some of the ideas that we had about Ohio State in August or when we updated them a month in. Where were we wrong about this team? Uh, I'll give you a second. Bill is thinking really hard. He wants to talk about the offensive line. I think. <laughs> yeah. So Berm, yeah, I got one. Yeah. So Berm, you start. Yeah, okay. Where were we wrong? I don't know. I'm not going to say I was wrong. My biggest thing. My biggest like advice stock-wise in August was to buy all the Travion Henderson stock you can buy because I thought he was going to have an absolutely monster year. Um, it turns out I was kind of right. When he was healthy, he was the most important player on the Ohio State offense and had unbelievable run of games towards the end of the year. Um, but unfortunately, because that's just the nature of football, he was not on the field as much as you would have liked to see. I saw a Heisman, like 2024 Heisman big board the other day that had him as like the seventh player on it for next year if he decides to return to Ohio State. So I don't think I'm wrong about it. Um, but I do think that the the way the Ohio State running back room ended up working out this year was way different than we could have envisioned because Mayan Williams never got healthy because Chip Trainum, despite the fact that he had a, a couple games where he looked like the guy or had the potential to be the guy, never really got unhitched uh, and, and, and became consistent running the ball. Down Hayden had very limited opportunity and Travion Henderson was never healthy and Evan Pryor never played. And like, uh, you know, we, we, but other than that, it was fine because <laughs> we, we had high expectations for the run game in general because we expected yeah. that the offensive line would be better at that than they were pass pro. And then you look at how the, that group unfolded the offensive line, and then you couple that with the running back issues, and you're like, wow, this uh, actually maybe put a lot of pressure on the quarterback that he didn't actually need. Hmm. <laughs> Sounds fair right. Point. For watching. Fair point. I, I, yeah. I don't know how I can argue against yeah. any of it, so we'll just let that point stand. Okay. Uh, so I thought Josh Simmons was going to be kind of a disaster for Ohio State on the offensive line this year at left tackle. I still don't like the process that that landed him ultimately. I, I think Ohio State still could have done more to help itself on the offensive line um, in the early transfer portal last year. But Josh Simmons, I think, ended up being a pretty solid left tackle for the team. So I was, I was wrong about that. And I actually am bullish on what he can be next year, which is like sort of what the vision was all along for Ohio State that – I was slow to come around on and didn't really buy at the time, but I do think you see the athleticism with him. I thought his blocking both in the run game and the pass game got more consistent as the year went on. And like, I'm not, I, I don't think he's going to be like a first round pick or not even like a first round all big 10. Second day pick. I said, okay, yeah, month. I mean, I don't know. I don't know that I agree with that. Cause I don't know that he has the measurables for it, but it's a, it's, a, it's an accord right there. Um, but I think he, now is, there's some real stocks. Right. I being... think, I think he is, I was suspect of him. You can just end the fence there. Yeah. Being a serviceable Big Ten lineman, even like that level. And he was beyond that, I think. And I think he has more to his game for next year, too. So I will own being wrong on my projections for Josh Simmons. Okay. He he certainly improved pretty significantly from start to finish. Now, there were still some areas that have to be cleaned up. The guy is penalty prone. He is. Although he didn't have... The last six games, he was clean. He was, and at San Diego State, it was a lot of false starts. Here, it was more like a hold here and there. Not It wasn't like if he had 15 false start penalties, so I guess that's progress. Well, it's a lot harder to play in San Diego State. The noise in those stadiums is 
yeah. knows it's all about the yeah, Mountain, it's Mountain West. West above the rest. That's uh, that's the way it works out there. That's, that's elite football. I have admitted that I was wrong about this multiple times, and I'll do it again because that's how wrong that I was. Tyreek Williams was a, an absolute monster, a game changer. There were a lot of people that said what he showed two years ago against Rutgers in big games, you know, non-conference games, that's enough. Like you could see the motor. And I, I was largely unconvinced by that because of the level of competition, because of, you know, injury concerns and, and he, his own admission of not, you know, working as hard as he needed to to fulfill his potential. He, he took all that challenge. But I remember like the first day, and this also feels like 10 years ago, the first day of training camp and like right over there, you know, slipping in one of the first drills. And I'm like, well, that's it. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to. That's exactly what you said. I was like, that's, <laughs> that's the end for Tyreek Williams. Like this team can't. And I, 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 throughout the month, I'd be paying attention to Taiwan Malone and like expecting him to take that next step. I, I talked in the middle of the year and Hero Canoe actually did take some of those reps and play better down the stretch. But I, I completely uh, underestimated Tyreek Williams. And, you know, if there's a chance, he said on Tuesday at the Woody that, you know, he intends to play in the Cotton Bowl. And if there's an opportunity for him to play one more year for Ohio State, that would be an incredibly important deal for them. He, you know, he had a fantastic season and uh, I went broke betting, trying to short <laughs> Tyleek Williams. He reiterated with the same thing a few other guys did. And I, I mean, I don't know why it's a surprise to hear it from him and not others, but that they, he said, I know, we didn't reach our goals. We didn't finish what we, like, it was enlightening to hear that's All a, of them. That's a change from yeah. Tyler too. That's part of the reason when you look at it and a year ago at this time, it's like, well, is he even going to stick around? Like the only thing yeah. that you ever hear is, is hashtag free 91 and stuff that's about himself. Maybe he's talking about the officials the whole time. Not letting well, him, he was yeah. being held by him. I asked him about it. He was advertising cheap gasoline. Didn't say, you know, uh, I, free, I, I didn't ask about that. Free 87. But he, he said he didn't really want to reveal the secret, but I, okay. I thought I cracked the code. Um, maybe I did. About gasoline. <clears throat> On the flip side, though, we were all sort of wrong, assuming that Michael Hall yes. would be the guy that uh, elevated. And for whatever reason, that didn't happen. But I, I, that's not my that's not my second point. My my real point. It was going to be mine. Uh, you can you can still <laughs> take it. Um, I think a lot of us, and no matter how talented we know individually, Justin Fields, Dwayne Haskins, C.J. Stroud, etc are and have been at Ohio State. I do think there was an element of thinking that any quarterback could kind of roll his helmet out there and succeed at a elite All-American level in the Ryan Day offense, and wrong about that. Yeah. Um, it, it actually does require something elevated, and I don't think that we really truly, I mean, not us personally, but in the collective, appreciated the things that C.J. Stroud did to put him into that stratosphere in the last two years. The timing, the anticipation, the ability to just feel a, a pass rush. Those little things that I think we assumed Kyle McCord would have figured out before he became the full-time starter at Ohio State. Um, and that didn't happen. So now I think we go into the next offseason feeling this curiosity about Ryan Day's quarterbacks in a way that no one would have anticipated five months ago. Um, and so to me, that's that's probably like the single biggest thing that's different from August to now. Now I'm like, okay, so did he elevate the quarterbacks or did the quarterbacks elevate the offense? And, yeah. I, and I, I think that there's a, a middle ground in there, but 
now you have to prove that. And I, I you know, that's going to be a, a tall task for Devin Brown or like Keenholz or Aaron Noland or anyone else to do it. But I, it's not something I would have anticipated believing in August. I kind of wonder to zoom out from just Ohio State. Like we know that Kyle McCord did not make the last play that was needed to win the game, to win a championship, and he's in the transfer portal uh, and has left Ohio State. But when I, maybe you guys disagree with this, but if you look back at three, four, five, 15 years ago in Bo Nix's recruitment for him specifically, like this class of college football quarterback for this year, I don't think as a whole was very good. I don't know if that's development across the board. I don't know if that's recruiting evaluations being wrong. I like, think COVID played some it's role. It's a 2021 COVID class. So like, I, I think it's a fascinating ex- experiment yeah. to see how that entire class been. And I, I actually think, see, I mean, we talked for the last couple of years, and you've mocked the idea. I've told you before, Ryan Day loved Graham Mertz coming out of high school. Loved him. Loved Bo Nix coming out of high school. Those were like his favorite players. Mm. And the, the amount of time that I've talk to people and people are like, what? Why? Those guys suck. Like, maybe they don't. Um, so I, I think it's just interesting to see how sometimes the a guy getting into a different system changes everything for them. Graham Mertz, why he ever thought he was going to get developed at Wisconsin, I don't know. He obviously wasn't perfect. What's going to happen at Florida either? He played pretty well for Florida. He's better year. at Florida. Uh, and, and he's going to come back. And next year, he's going to be in year six or eight or ten or whatever. And he's probably going to be a Heisman finalist. Because when you're a 28-year-old guy playing college <laughs> football, that's what happens. He's going to throw 40 touchdowns I, for a 6 and 16. So, I mean, I, I think it's just an interesting uh, – there is a huge conversation about that class of 2021 at quarterback. Because Caleb Williams, for all of the things he does, has he gotten better at playing quarterback in the last two years? I think I, he's got demonstrably so. worse. I would ask that question about every Lincoln Riley quarterback. It's 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 an, it's easy to dispel with that when you only have guys for one year. Yep. But that's I I I'm looking at it more and like trying to ask questions about how difficult it's going to be to sustain that because I think college football as a whole got spoiled by years of. Justin Fields and Dwayne Haskins and Trevor Lawrence. Like I, I don't feel like anybody in college football was at that level. That's not. I'm not saying that in any way, shape, or form to suggest that like, hey, it wasn't Kyle McCord's fault. Like, no, Riley he, Leonard was the elite transfer portal quarterback, and and it's not like he's. I mean, he's got uh, some traits that you can look at. And yeah. be like that's that that's a guy that translates to the NFL. But there's nothing about him that is intrinsically elite. It's not. He doesn't have. Trevor Lawrence's size or Justin Fields' athleticism or C.J. Stroud's ability to throw the ball into tight windows or uh, any, you know, anyone. He doesn't have Will. What's that quarterback for? The, Smith. Will Smith. Will no, Levis. Will Levis. He doesn't no. have Will Levis's arm strength. Like, he doesn't have, none of those guys have any one of those elite traits that, and, and I, I, I guess, would have thought that we would have seen one of those traits emerge from Kyle McCord this year. And that's where, like, yeah. it didn't happen. But to your point, I don't know that anyone else throughout college football really – yeah, I mean, did that. And Jaden Daniels. Jaden Daniels was was fantastic, like, He's but great. but he wasn't, you know. And, and I know that there's a this is a sidetracked argument with their, their defense and other <laughs> things, but like, I mean, he he didn't win every single game, and right. and there were things that he did wrong in every one. I would include Michael Penix in that. I, I brought that up with, you know, Bill the other day about the Heisman vote and. Or maybe it was you. I don't know. I, everyone. Yes. Like, remembering what the Arizona, Arizona State, State game happened. Like, it was I, me because I. Uh, it was also Kyle, me. Kyle McCord and, was ranked ahead of Michael Penix in QBR, and I said that was wrong. It was also yeah. me on the live show on Monday. But anyway. At one point, his head in the camera. Well, I think it's important to I, to my point now, which is that if if the expectation to zoom back in on Ohio State is that they're going to have Justin Fields or Dwayne Haskins or C.J. Stroud every year, single year, 
I don't think they will. Like, and I don't think anyone should expect that. Like, that doesn't yeah. mean that you can't get better quarterback play or that the development of the position can't be improved. I think both of those things are absolutely unequivocally true. But and necessary. It's not it's not as simple as this guy is with every single one that comes in is gonna be a first round pick and a Heisman Trophy finalist and win a national championship. Like none of those three guys before that did that anyway. Yeah, I think I think the question morphs from like can quarterback X of the future match the level of play of CJ and Dwayne and Justin to can whoever that quarterback is do what is necessary for that particular team to win a national championship? And mm-hmm. that, I think that's the only question really worth asking. And I, I think this year the answer to that question was clearly no. And Ohio State needs to evaluate it and figure out a way to make sure the question for next year is yes, because that's the expectation around here. But, yeah, like go out there and rewrite the record book every single season is an unrealistic expectation. But, like, baseline level of play for Ohio State to, to achieve its goals is not. And, and I don't think they're there right now. They need to get back to it. Okay. That's a long-winded way of saying – I didn't think the quarterback play would be <laughs> yeah. a question yeah. Yeah. at this yeah. point of the, of the year. Yeah. It's your turn now. <laughs> Michael Hall, talk about it. No, I'll, I'll go somewhere else on the defensive line, actually, because I you know, I wasn't I wasn't alone in this, but I think a lot of people were buying Kenyatta Jackson stock in camp. I, I, I definitely was, and there were some real flashes there when we got to watch practice. Turns out because probably the offensive line was still working through some stuff, which is an important point to keep in your mind whenever evaluating defensive linemen in practice. Um and it's not that I thought Kenyatta played poorly when he was out there this year. It just wasn't uh, kind of a rocket ship the way I thought it was going to be. I thought we were going to see a real sophomore breakout for him. And, and part of it is opportunity. Like Jack and JT played really well in front of him and, and dominated those snap counts. I don't I don't really have any issue with, with that. Um, I just thought that we'd feel Kenyatta a little more when he was out there and that those opportunities would be greater. But I think that was more a product of kind of maybe misunderstanding and misevaluating what – the situation was at defensive end and that those older guys were going to take steps forward because I think both of them did, mm-hmm. which limited opportunities for Kenyatta and Caden Curry and even Amari Abor, who's, who's now transferred. So I guess generally I thought that crop, younger crop of defensive ends might have more of an impact on this defense than it ended up having. I would say that in some ways there was a silver lining and positive because Larry Johnson was willing to adjust specifically against Notre Dame and just say, let hey Jack and JT go like the best players need to do that now yeah. there's a difference like it it shouldn't have to be that way if guys put themselves in a position where there is no drop off which was my issue before I've tried to make that very clear that suggesting that Javante Jean Baptiste was the same as JT Tuimoloal was like a a very faulty piece of logic if Kenyatta Jackson or Caden Curry had made that a legitimate conversation to to get an even number of reps then like that's better for the overall health of the defense. I don't dispute that part. It doesn't just have to be two or four people constantly. But the depth, I don't think, elevated to the level that maybe we would have projected for Ohio State. Yeah, which I, I guess on one hand might be a little bit of, of an issue. I, I, th- I think not. I'm not really there with that. I, I don't even think that it's a bad thing that I necessarily and others ended up being wrong about what that picture might look like because I think it was – more a product of a change in philosophy and, and Jack and JT again playing playing really well this year. But I I, I guess I'm I wish we would have seen a little more to make you I don't know more bullish on the future of, of that position. Should Jack and, and JT leave? Maybe there's a little bit um, to be desired there with some of the play we saw from the younger guys. But I still believe in them. Like I still like when Kate and Kerry and Keanu Jackson are out there. I like I like what I see. I, I think there's there's relatively high ceilings for for both those guys. I just I thought we it'd be more apparent now. Um, after this year, heading into the bowl game. Yeah. 
I think I was mostly right when I when you dumped all your two tight end stock on the field, but I definitely picked the wrong second tight end. Yes. Um, and so, you know, Joe Royer continued to deal with injuries. I thought in August he was primed, you know, for a real breakout. That didn't happen. Health was a key part of that for him. Um, but I also may have, you know, not given G. Scott enough credit for his continued development. He did. He still didn't become someone that I think Ohio State was ready to play 40 to 50 snaps uh, out there. Like, I don't think he got to that point. But he was doing more as a blocker late in the year than I, I projected for him. I think there's still an opportunity for him to be a bigger factor down the road as a receiving threat. He's certainly got those skills. We saw, you know, one fantastic touchdown catch at Rutgers um, that showed some of what he could do yep. there. So uh, that's that's a twofer right there. It just didn't happen for Joe Royer the way that I thought. Some of those circumstances were beyond his control. And then G. Scott, I thought, was really impressive. Like the, the way he talked in, in training camp about, you know, owning up to the, the way he had developed, uh, making the most of every day, becoming the best version of himself was impressive, and maybe I should have given more credence to that because I think he did fulfill that. True. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and we, were, we were all on board with Joe Royer being uh, emerging after he you know, played well in the duty that he was forced into against Georgia and thought maybe he'd capitalize on that. Um, my, my final thing is also going back to Georgia is that I was wrong about expecting Ryan Day to be that coach mm. uh, all year long instead Same. of reverting back to what he uh, leaned on throughout the majority of the 2022 season um, and 2021 season. And uh, again, I I don't know where the change exactly happened. Uh, I don't know why the loss in Ann Arbor in 2021 seems to have fundamentally changed the way he approaches calling football games. Um, I, I, I don't think it was as egregious throughout this season as it was a year ago, to be clear. I think that there were a number of times. I think this year's Michigan game, for example, was a, a wonderfully called game by Ohio State, just not executed very well uh, at times. But uh, it's not just about the play calling aggressiveness and the philosophy of Ryan Day as an aggressive coach on the field. It's about running the program aggressively. And I think that that's something where you can look at it and say this is a guy who's, again, in his fifth year of running a, of any college football program. He's never had a head coaching job before, He's uh, and I think he's he needs to take that step if he wants to continue to be the face of Ohio State football for the next 10 years or however long his desire is to run this program. You don't run a program like Ohio State and win in a program like Ohio State by being timid. Like in And, that's, and that is a concern that I – kind of tried to push off in in the preseason that I think now more than ever can't really be ignored. Well, Bill and I said this a week and a half ago after the Cotton Bowl announcement that like the, there was a noticeable lack of energy from Ryan Day and a lack of specifics about the next step, which you can say it was one week after the end of the regular season and like it's okay, it doesn't matter. Then to go, you know, two and a half weeks and not talk at all about anything you're doing, recruiting, uh, NFL draft decisions, getting ready for the Cotton Bowl, being active and being on TV, being on media and talking about, hey, things are great. And then also having the possibility that if, if there is some part of him that doesn't want to make any change to the coaching staff and the two spots, like if there's any wavering on that and, on, it. and it's possible that there is, you're going to have to explain that. Bar none, absolute point blank period, because Everybody in this building seemed very much aware that those were the steps that were that needed to be taken and were going to be taken. And if you don't, 
he's the only one that can answer that. And so yeah. I'm not saying that like everything we've reported previously is not going to happen. Uh, but it's a possibility that it doesn't. And the, you, the blowback to that, and that would be the complete antithesis of Georgia Ryan Day in terms of what you, you're using your word there, Berm, of timid, cautious. I, I don't know. If those don't happen, I don't know how you explain it. You're getting me fired up, man. I, I mean, I, it, <laughs> that cannot it, happen. it cannot happen. It cannot happen. We're, gonna, we're not going to talk to Ryan Day until next Wednesday. On Zoom. On Zoom. So read into that what you will, I suppose. On National Signing Day for one of the best classes in the country at Ohio State. Yeah, it just doesn't feel like they're attempting to put themselves in the positive spotlight that they want people to view them. You know what I mean? Like if you if you are frustrated with negativity or if you're frustrated with the with the national view that things are falling apart, then step up and show people why it's not. And, and don't allow the narrative to spin uh, uncontrolled. And that's that's what seems to be happening when you don't step out in front of it and say this is what's going on, this is what we're doing. This even if even if Ryan Day decides that he's not making a change with Parker Fleming or not making a change at, at quarterback or, or deciding to re-sign Corey Dennis, then step up and say it and let people hear your reasoning say why. and move yeah. on. Yeah. Because it's just the, it's the idea that people, and this is for us too, I mean, we are talking heads talking about this stuff. Like you can't just let people's thoughts wander and like create their own story when the story is yours and you control, you can't control it. All right. Uh, how about uh, some, <laughs> some, uh, some good news? Uh, I, I am not taking all the credit for this. I think we're all on the same page. And a lot of people who were observing Ohio State practice and talking to people in the summer were on the same page, even going back to the spring, that these cornerbacks were going to be pretty damn good. Tim Walton, stock and, up. Yeah, and they ended up being that. So, yeah, if we're going to do a stock up on Tim Walton, absolutely. Both on the field and in recruiting, I, th- I think he's earned it. Mm-hmm. I think that, that group was tremendous, especially if you consider Jordan Hancock with them, because and, and I do. Um, Davis Nicobinosin I thought was a great transfer addition. Denzel Burke obviously had a great year. Jermaine Matthews stepped up in the huge spots uh, a couple times and, and played really well. Um, it was They were everything I thought they would be this year. I, maybe they didn't have quite as many – takeaways is is maybe they wanted to it's, i'm not i'm not necessarily leveling that criticism at them but jordan hancock did say like he, he wishes they would have got some more turnovers this year but i thought every time they were challenged they really answered the bell um and they were the strength of i, I really not even the defense i would say the strength of the of the team this year mm-hmm. was the play that they got from the cornerbacks i say strength but also they were they were sort of the heartbeat of the team as far as the confidence goes yeah. just the overall attitude of this team was emanating from that group and again Tim Walton took a lot of heat a year ago from people about that cornerback room who, you know, some people even here. No, I, yeah, I, th- I did not think his first year was, was great. There was a lack of context, I think, around what was going on with that room. Is he suggesting that I would have criticized Cameron Brown? I mean, <laughs> but if you look now and not just at the, the development of Denzel Burke and Jordan Hancock and Davis and um, but now on the recruiting front, what he's doing, like Tim, Tim Walton has uh, emerged as, an integral part of this uh, program. I went on on a really, you know, flimsy limb, and it was scary out it's a there. Flimsy, yeah, it was it's a flimsy. Limb. And I just thought this Marvin Harrison Jr. guy, I think he's going to be good. <sighs> Idiot. <laughs> and I, 
Didn't even win a Heisman. He, so. he, we're going to have to look past that He only that won part. the Blitnikoff by one vote. I can't control Bill the voters. Bill won the <laughs> Thank goodness that this I put Homer. so much stock into Bill Landis pushing Marvin Harrison over the top. Can you imagine if you would have voted for Keandre Lambert, how people would feel about you? I couldn't have, thankfully. There was only three finalists. I I really wanted to. I think there are some people who posted their ballots who regret doing so, but uh, fortunately, I didn't have to worry about that. Anyway, let's just end on that high note. Marvin Harrison Jr. was fantastic for Ohio State. You're going to miss him. Yeah, it's it's weird to be out here doing uh, the podcast daily for a, a Woody Wednesday and for Marv not to be on the Monarch, but... I he guess. was out here earlier. Don't worry. He was here. He was here. He's just now done because he doesn't have to get ready for the Cotton Bowl.